Worship is something that should happen 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We should live lives of white-hot worship of God, where every day we wake up and say, Lord, this is going to be about your glory. This is going to be about your good pleasure, your joy in my life. And Lord, I give you this day. And sure, Lord, I have all these things on my calendar. But God, I want to make much of you today. And I want to be open to you today. Do you love God? Are you making much of God today? Pastor Daniel notes today that true worship is about submitting our plans, will, and ideas to Him every day. Worshiping God is not only singing songs on Sunday morning, but about recognizing who God is and who we are every day. Seeing the difference will cause us to humbly bow down before the almighty, holy, glorious, and loving God of the Bible. Blessed be His holy name. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 32 as he continues his message called The Reunion. You got to think about it as a parent would because God gave us the ability to be parents. And even if you don't have kids, you can imagine that sometimes you don't make it easy for your children, not because you don't love them, but you don't make it easy for them because you love them. Like, I remember my dad. I remember growing up, my dad was one of those dads that said, look, no one's going to give you anything in life. My dad didn't really, doesn't walk with the Lord, and so he wouldn't say that, you know, you get grace for free. So he didn't understand that. But he pretty much said, look, no one's going to give you anything in life. So if you want to drive a car, you better get a job. And I said, okay, and I got a job. And I started working for a job, and I ended up buying a very cool 1973 orange VW Kia. It was very cool. But it was interesting because, you know, if my friend was eating a hamburger in my car and left a wrapper, that wrapper wasn't hanging out in the car for very long because it was my car. He made me work for it. And I had another friend, his parents bought him a brand new car. And I remember one day I was sitting in his back seat and there was a piece of gum shoved in the side of the seat. And I'm like, hey man, you got some gum in your seat. He's like, yeah, I know. I'm waiting for the person who put it there to remove it. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, dude, that's your car. But the difference was, is that I had to work for my car. And I cared about my car. My buddy didn't have to work for it. He didn't really care about it. I remember when that happened, I started thinking back on it as I've gotten older. I'm like, you know, my dad made it hard on me, but it was good for me. See, good parenting is not giving your children everything they want right as they want it. It's about helping them grow. And sometimes things are hard. Like my son Obadiah, I love him. He's seven. Obadiah likes things. Obadiah is one day like, man, I want to get Star Wars Legos. Next day, I want a Nerf gun arsenal. Because you know the little dudes in Nerf guns, I mean, you can't go wrong with that. But every day it's something new. And everybody says, hey, Dad, can you buy me a Nerf gun rifle? And I'm like, well, you better save your money. You always say that, Dad. I'm like, yeah, because you're gonna, you have to learn how to save and you have to learn how to make good decisions with your money. And it's, you know, I could make it easy for him. Just be like, okay. Give him everything he wants. We all know that those wants never end for any of us, not just children. So sometimes a good parent makes a child work for something because they know that when you work for it, it will be more meaningful. 
And sometimes God in our prayers makes us work for it. Because he knows if we just say, oh Lord, can I have this? And it just pops up. We'll just think God's a vending machine, right? But something glorious happens when we are wrestling with God about something. Something is amazing that happens in our hearts when we don't understand something and God makes us work for it. Because think about your your walk with the Lord. The things that you learn that are the most meaningful to you are what? Are the things that were hard to learn, right? Not the quick fixes, but the things that because of life and circumstances, the things that take time, that take energy, the things that make life meaningful are the hardest things. Not the things that come quickly or easily. And we learn from Jacob because Jacob is getting mangled. I mean, his hip is at a joint. And he's like, I won't let you go until you bless me. When was the last time we prayed that way? God, I am not going to let go until you take care of this. Till your blessing is upon my life. Till I have appropriated from your heart to my experience. Again, it speaks to that fervency in prayer. It's fascinating you realize that God intentionally hurt Jacob. That's what God intentionally hurt Jacob. Because sometimes the wounds of a friend are the most faithful. Think about this. Jacob won't let go. The day is breaking. One commentator called this event the magnificent defeat. Ultimately, Jacob is defeated, but it's awesome what goes on here. Because what goes on? Look at this. In verse 27. So he said to them, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Huh. That name Israel means prince of God or governed by God. So Jacob is wrestling with this man. And some people would say it's the incarnate Lord, it's Jesus. They call it a theophany or a Christophany. I'm not really so sure. It doesn't say it's Jesus, so I'm, I'm a little hesitant to say, yeah, it's Jesus. But the reality is, is that Jacob is defeated, but he gets a name change. He used to be this schemer. That's what it means, heel catcher, Jacob. But now he changes his name to mean prince of God or governed by God. So how cool is this? Jacob wrestled with God. He walks away with a limp, but he gets a new name, a new reality. See, this is what God really wants for us. God wants to change our realities to give us a new way to view the world, a new way to deal with ourselves and the world around us. And sometimes that only comes when we end up with a limp. And so Jacob, he ends up renaming this place, call it Peniel, the face of God. He said, I saw God face to face. And then it goes on and it says here that, that Jacob ended up walking with a limp. And to this day, that's the end of verse 31. And to this day, the day it was written, maybe around the time of Moses or potentially later, it says that the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. And so the reality is, is that no longer do Orthodox Jews eat the tendon on the hindquarters of an animal. That's part of the, the kosher law. Because of this happening, 
So, I mean, just, I want you just to put that in your mind for a second. That Jacob wrestled with God. He ended up limping, but he got a new name. A new way to view his own reality. You know, I was just talking with someone this week. Tough situation. I said, you know, I said, in the end of the day, you're going to walk out of this with a limp. This situation that you're going through, you're going to end up with a limp. It's going to change you. And I'm like, but the reality is, is God didn't just give Jacob a limp. He gave him a new name as well. And for some of us, we have to be okay with that. That some circumstances are just going to change you for the rest of your life. I remember for me, when I was a young man, before I was a Christian, my mother's death, I knew. I talked to a friend who was a Christian. I said, I don't know much, but what I do know is that how I deal with this is going to change me for the rest of my life. And I lost my mom when I was 21. And that gave me a limp. The only person in the world really hurt. I mean, my mom, you know, I was a young man. I I ended up with a limp, but God gave me a new name too. That is the difference between the way Christians view hard times and the way non-Christians do. Because as Christians, we hope against hope. We know that there is a good God who is at work. And yes, I may end up with a limp, but God is going to change my name. And people who don't believe in Jesus, they don't have that hope. There's nowhere to find that hope. You can't hope in the universe. I have lots of friends who say that. Oh, I just trust that the universe will do good by me. I'm like, what hope is there in the universe? Look, read Walden by Thoreau. He talks about nature, how violent nature is. See, we trust in a good God, a God who is good and does good. So it's amazing. Jacob is expecting one meeting and he gets another meeting. He's expecting to meet his brother Esau and he ends up in a wrestling match all night. In chapter 33, verse one, now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked and there Esau was coming and with him were 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel and the two maidservants and he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind and Rachel and Joseph last. Then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. So Jacob comes. It's morning time. Esau's coming with 400 men. He breaks them down. And now we know the pecking order of Jacob's family. The maidservants and their kids, then Leah and her kids, and then Rachel and Joseph. Can you imagine this? The favored wife and son are closest to Jacob. The last, if Esau's going to come down with vengeance, the last, the maidservants, you know, as we go into this brother's series, we see all the mess that goes on. You, you can imagine the environment that they grew up in to be able to foster the stuff that's going to go on. Because it's, it's all backwards. It's all a mess. So when Jacob comes over, he starts bowing seven times. Now, look at verse four. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. And he lifted his eyes and saw the women and children and said, who are these with you? So he said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants came near and they and their children, they bowed down. And Leah also came near and her children. And they bowed down after Joseph and Rachel came near and they bowed down. Then Esau said, what do you mean by all this company which I met? And he said, they are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. 
And Jacob said, no, please, if I have now found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand. Inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I have seen the face of God and you were pleased with me, please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me because I have enough. So he urged him and he took it. Jacob gave up 550 heads of cattle. And when Esau saw him, he ran to him, he hugged him, he kissed him. And he wept because he was happy to see his brother. You can imagine Jacob thinking about this later being like, duh, what was I thinking? 550 heads of cattle, right? Just being like, man, I could have all that still. I could have given him half that, a quarter of that. But hey, that's the syntax, right? All the wives and children, they're a gracious gift from God. They all bow. And it's interesting because Esau says, what's with all this stuff that you're giving me? And he's like, oh, that's, it's a gift for you. And he's like, Esau, God has been faithful to Esau. He's like, I have enough. Jacob's like, no, no, I want you to take it. I want you to take it. See, Jacob's doing all this just to try and make sure he's not in trouble. But it's interesting is that God had still blessed Esau just like Isaac had prophesied over Esau. Even though he didn't get the place of primacy, he was still blessed. In verse 12, it says this. Then Esau said, let us take our journey. Let us go and I will go before you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are weak and the flocks and herds which are nursing are with me. And if the men should drive them too hard one day, all the flocks will die. Please let my Lord go on ahead before the servant. I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord in Seir. Now, you know, listen, you got to love Esau here because, I mean, Esau could be mad and he was mad 20 years ago, but now he's like, let's, let's just travel together. But Jacob is still skeptical. He's like, no, 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 listen, you guys go on ahead. It's almost as if Jacob is expecting Esau to change his mind about being gracious to him. So like, no, no, you go on ahead. And it's interesting, he says, I'll meet up with you in Seir, which is where Esau is living, and we're going to find that Jacob doesn't go anywhere near Seir. So it's interesting because all these things are happening to Jacob, but Jacob still isn't really amending his ways, is he? He's still scheming. I was reading this this morning as I was going over my notes again for that. I thought to myself, you know, how many times do I do that? Where God shows himself exceedingly gracious on my behalf, but yet I'm still finagling and, and manipulating and being, you know, being a little shady. God has just been so good and I'm still like doing my thing. How many of us are like that? God has shown himself so strong. I mean, Jacob prayed, Lord, I'm going to do all this stuff. You're going to be my God, all these great things. But then Esau comes. He can't even be honest with his brother Esau. He can't even travel with his brother. He said, no, you go ahead. I'll meet you in Seir. And as we're going to see, he doesn't go anywhere near it. If we're really honest, this is part of the condition of our hearts, isn't it? Where God is so good, but yet we're still so shifty. It's so natural for us. God has just done something radical. And then we're like, ah, you know, we're still working the angles rather than trusting in him. In verse 15, and Esau said, now let me leave 
with you some of the people who were with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, and Jacob journeyed to Succoth, built himself a house, and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. You see what goes on? I mean, Esau's being so, he's being a good big brother here. He's like, look, yeah, you have these herds, you have all these kids, let me leave some men with you. Let, let me leave some protection for you. Jacob says, no, no, no thanks. So Esau goes back to his home in Seir. Jacob ends up in a place called Succoth, which literally means booths or secondary shelters or temporary shelters. And Jacob built himself a house there and the livestock dwelt in booths. And we do know, once we get to Leviticus chapter 23, that we will see the Feast of Booths or Succoth, which is all about God's provision for the children of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. But we'll get to that. Verse 18 to 20, I'm going to close there, and it sets the stage for our brother's series. Look at what it says. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padanaram, and he pitched his tent before the city. And he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamar, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. And he erected an altar there and called it El Eloth Israel, which is literally God, the God of Israel. Now, what is all this? So Jacob comes to the city called Shechem, which is in modern day Nablus. It is the stage where we're going to see what's going to happen next, which is the rape of his daughter Dinah. It's interesting that Shechem is also the land of Samaria or Sychar. Remember John chapter four, the woman at the well? It's going to happen in the same area, same place. He gets there. God has brought him back to the land of Canaan. After his trip to Padanaram, he pitches a tent there. He buys a piece of land. Now think about this. Remember, we started the book of Genesis. What did I say? It's all about God, the people, and the land, right? The God, the people, Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, the patriarchs, right? And then the land. Remember, Abraham bought one piece of land where he could bury his wife, and he ended up being buried there. Now they buy another piece of land in this area that God had promised to them. So we are seeing the fulfillment. Now Jacob comes back. He buys a piece of land for a hundred pieces of money and he erects an altar to worship and he calls it the God, the God of Israel. Who's Israel? It's him. Remember, that man said, your name is Jacob, now you're Israel. He comes, he buys a piece of land. He says, God, my God. And he worships there. What a perfect place to close out a series on the patriarchs. We've seen Abraham and God's faithfulness. We've seen Isaac and God's faithfulness. And now we see Jacob. And although Jacob is faithless, God is faithful. He comes back to the land. He gets a place to call his own. And Jacob now, as Israel, is a worshiper. And you think about, in the Old Testament, it was always they built an altar, which always spoke of sacrifice. Remember when I talked about prayer? It, the idea is being face-to-face -face and bringing a sacrifice, a sacrifice of praise. True worship involves sacrifice. 
And for us as Christians, the sacrifice is we lay ourselves down. We lay our own plans down, our own wills down, our own ideas down, and we let God give us a new idea. We say, Lord, I'm going to give up my self-styled life. Lord, what is the life that you have for me? Lord, I'm going to give up my own ideas. Lord, what is your plans for my life? And that's what really worship is all about. See, we love worshiping with music here. And God has given many people in our congregation great gifts to lead us in that. But true worship is something that should happen 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We should live lives of white-hot worship of God, where every day we wake up and say, Lord, this is going to be about your glory. This is going to be about your good pleasure, your joy in my life. And Lord, I give you this day. And sure, Lord, I have all these things on my calendar. But God, I want to make much of you today. And I want to be open to you today. I want to be open for what you have for me today. You know I need to accomplish these things. But as I'm accomplishing these things that are part of my day, God, I want to praise you. I want to serve you. I am here as a living sacrifice for you today. And you know what I believe, brothers and sisters? I believe that if we can approach our lives that way, today is a day to worship. Today is a day to make much of God then the body of Christ becomes an unstoppable movement for good in the name of God in a world that so desperately needs it. When you and I can take a time and say, God, how do you want to use me today? And you see somebody who is in need and you say, you know what? I have things to do, but I'm going to stop and I'm going to serve this person. I'm going to go up to them and say, how are you? What do you need? How can I help you? Worship involves sacrifice. How many of us think it's weird when people raise their hands in the sanctuary? Some people do. I remember when I first came to a church, I'm like, what is up with these people? First time I came to a church. Now, I'm not trying to say that so you don't raise your hands. But the reality is when someone raises their hand, they're saying, Lord, I surrender myself to you. You go to a, a sporting event and people raise their hands all the time. <gasps> you know, someone kicks a ball into a steel frame with a net, and everyone goes crazy. We should go crazy for the Lord, right? People go horse at a football game. We should go horse every Sunday, praising God. Because you know what the beauty of a football game is? They'll play it again next week. And as we go to respond to the Lord in worship now and take communion, I pray that we really lay it all out for the Lord and we make much of him. And we say, Lord, this life is yours, God. My heart is yours. The talents that you've given me, they're yours, God. And I just want to be used for your glory, whatever that looks like. I have my plans, Lord, but what's your plan for this life? And I believe that God is going to reorient all of our lives in such a way that he is going to use us way beyond our wildest expectations. If we'd simply say, God, you're God. I praise you. I give you my life. Do what you will. Amen. Jesus is real. Pastor Daniel taught us from the life of Jacob today. Like Jacob, we too can distrust God at times. Pastor Daniel noted today that Jacob was unsure about trusting God, even after the multiple encounters with him. God is firm, but we can be so shifty. God shows himself exceedingly gracious, but we easily discount what God did. 
Let's remember that God is worthy of our trust. Has not God proven himself to be faithful? Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the Stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will launch into a new series that will teach us life lessons from the lives of Jacob's children. In the first message, Pastor Daniel will draw out several lessons from Dinah's rape. We'll hear that Shechem loved Dinah, but not enough to honor her. This is very similar to how many unbelievers love today. Many today love selfishly. Jesus loves us selflessly. He died because of his love for us. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. From all of us here on the production team, we want to thank you for joining us today. Join us next time for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.